Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well. Wherever you are in this crazy world right now, I hope you and yours are doing okay, keeping safe and sound. Glad to have you along as always. We have got plenty to talk about on today's show. We'll be looking back at the game against Chelsea. And of course, we'll be taking in some of the more broad issues regarding this season, where we are, what we can still achieve, if anything. Uh, The manager, all the talk of recruitment and rebuilding and resetting and backing from the owner and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, That's all to come between now and the end of the show. It is quite funny, though, isn't it, that in this crazy season where we have dropped so many ridiculous points... You think about Burnley and the way we lost those games. You think about losing to Everton. You think about uh, almost losing to Fulham. You think about losing twice to Aston Villa. And I'm not saying we have any divine right to win any of those games, but I think it's reasonable to expect that Arsenal would produce a better points uh, total from those games than we did. But amid all that, we managed to beat Chelsea twice, home and away, for the first time since 2003-2004, when I think we had a pretty good year, pretty good season that season, and that's the last time we beat Chelsea home and away, and we've managed it this season. And look, you know, beating Chelsea away, 1-0 at Stamford Bridge in a performance in which we were kind of hanging on, but in which we played pretty defensively, whether by design or simply the circumstances of the game. Look, nobody is saying that this means everything is okay. Nobody is saying that, you know, because we beat Chelsea... It, it makes going out to Villarreal the way we did okay. Of course not. That's nonsense. But look, you've been here as long as I've been here throughout this season. You've watched every minute of every game. You've read all the blogs. You've read the news pieces, the player ratings. You've listened to the podcasts. You've been there, done that, worn the T-shirt. You've experienced it all, and lots of it has been shit. Like, really, inexcusably shit. And I think you can recognize that on one hand... And on the other, take some joy in the fact that we have beaten Chelsea away from home. Beaten them at their place. Old Tommy Tickle's post-match interview, he was so annoyed, he was so angry with himself. Fine, that's great. But things like that, small things that we can all enjoy as football fans, you've got to take them. 
You have to. Don't deny yourself the small bits which are good this season because you're so pissed off with everything else. It doesn't mean you can't be pissed off with everything else. And I know the game itself was essentially meaningless, but it's a London derby. We've beaten Chelsea away from home. We've beaten them at home. John Terry was sad. Ashley Cole was sad. Frank Lampard was probably sad. Who else? All of them. All of those fuckers were sad. All their fans were sad. Sure, they've got a couple of insignificant cup finals to to soften the blow of losing to Arsenal at this stage of the season. But still, I liked it in a really kind of perverse way because, look, first and foremost, there wasn't the pressure, was there, that normally there would be in a game like this because our season is pretty much done and dusted. So there's a kind of like, not that you don't care, but it doesn't mean as much. So you can kind of relax into the game and then you score a goal because Mr. Tumnus makes a mistake and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, he he sets up Emile Smith-Rowe, who's this wonderfully precocious, incredibly talented footballer that we have who's come through our academy. And if we can keep him fit, boy, oh boy, am I going to be uh, enjoying watching him play for Arsenal? And then Chelsea come back and they, you know, Leno makes some saves and late on they hit the bar a couple of times and we defend with our lives And it's like we embraced our crapness. We embraced it. We played the back three. We said, come on, have a go. And they had a go. And we more or less contained them, apart from a few little moments here and there. We embraced our crapness and won. And in a season which has delivered so very little at key moments, I'm happy to take my enjoyment where I can get it. Might be a different story next week when Attilio Lombardo comes off the bench for Crystal Palace to score a winner for them in the last minute. But hey, right now, this is where I am and this is what I'm doing. Okay, let's get on with the show. And delighted to welcome back to talk about the game against Chelsea and to talk about a lot of interesting stuff that's happened this week. Uh, Mikel Arteta's post-match interview, for example, with Sky, where, where he was very frustrated with the way that some of his comments have been portrayed in the media. And I can kind of understand why. I'll explain uh, during the conversation here with James Bench from CBS Sports. Hi, James. Hi, Angie. How are you? I'm all right. Chelsea away, Arsenal won, Chelsea nil. Not perhaps the most comprehensive or exhilarating performance from an Arsenal point of view, but in a season where results have been, well, really not good enough, you've got to take your enjoyment where you get it. That's that's a great result, regardless of how it happened. I mean, in a way, I enjoyed it more because of how it happened. It was <laughs> the, the clown shoe was very much on the other foot for once. <laughs> It was some, there's just something quite, you know, there is something quite joyous. And I don't think Arsenal fans should be ashamed to admit that it's really funny when, you know, these errors that Arsenal keep making happen in Arsenal's favour. And I think the way it was sort of, you know, that, that Kepper in theory looked like the full guy and he did nothing, but he'd really done nothing wrong and totally normal reaction to just push the ball away from the goal mm. and he probably would have, you know, Arsenal would have had an, my only complaint is that Arsenal would have had an indirect free kick on the six yard line. And I think they're the most fun things in all football <laughs> watching, I guess, Abami. I mean, David Luiz would have taken it and got it over the bar somehow, wouldn't he? He'd have found a way on the pitch and hammered it into Rose Ed. But I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't vintage. I think it, you know, it's a bit, we kind of see these games a bit too much with Arteta, um, particularly late in the season, you know, backs to the wall, you know, our, our actual plans and underlying philosophy have all gone to pot, but we can defend every once in a while for, for 90 minutes. But, you know, in the end, you can't 
you can't there's no sense in complaining too much about yeah. beating Chelsea you know these are the games to enjoy and in a way I think there is almost an extra bit of enjoyment to be taken from from winning it in a way where you didn't really deserve to win and he, as Thomas Tuchel said you know Chelsea were the better team although they didn't create that much but you know it's these are fun fun wins as yeah. much as the the hammerings you know in other games as well it is nice to know that a team which is considered far better than us and you know look they're in the FA Cup final the Champions League final and they've been very good under Thomas Tuchel uh, you know can contrive to lose a game in a way which is very Arsenal-esque, if you like. And the goal is quite interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, there was a lot of talk, and I've seen a lot of people talk about this afterwards, that, you know, Kepa uh, handling the ball on the line, people were going, well, why why wasn't he sent off for denying a clear goal? And and what you can't do is give handball against the goalkeeper in the box. It would have been, as you say, an indirect free kick from the six-yard line. So I'm glad the referee let it go on. But I think, you know, if you step back from it, uh, and we scored, and it was Emil Smith-Rowe's goal, and we're going to talk about him now in a second, but there's probably a good case to be made that the punishment for a goalkeeper doing that in those circumstances is not sufficient. Like a, uh, the, the goalkeeper clawing the ball off the line just as it's about to go in with his hand, knowing it's a back pass, is an indirect free kick does not seem like adequate punishment. It should, at the very least, I think, be a penalty. So there's there's room, I think, for... I mean, it's, it's an incident which doesn't happen very often, but it's an example of how, when you see it, you can say, well, that wouldn't have been fair to Arsenal if the referee had blown and we got a six-yard free kick or a free kick from six yards and Chelsea can put basically 11 men in the goal to block the shot. <laughs> Would have been funny, though. But I, I agree. It, I think there's so many, you know, that we've, we've seen throughout this season that as much as we want to blame VAR and we want to blame officials and, you know, neither are, neither are flawless by any stretch of the imagination, but I think, you know, both are worth persevering with. That really a lot of what ne- where the work needs to be done is just on tidying up the laws a little bit. You know, adding a degree of of common sense. We saw this with the uh, what was it the the triple punishment um, yeah, yeah. when a goalkeeper fouls a player that's running through and denies a clear goal scoring opportunity, and you can end up with a red card and a penalty and no goalkeeper. And I think, you know, that that obviously is, is probably cleaving a little too far towards, um, you know, game-ruining punishment. Obviously, we all remember Paris back in 06. But then you, I, you're completely right that it doesn't feel fair that you can, you know, you can palm the ball off the line and, and you know, there's no real, no real punishment. And, you know, I, I would suspect that if Arsenal had got that free kick on the, the six yard box that, you know, Arsenal, or most teams probably would find it really difficult to score against because you're almost facing, you know, half a dozen goalkeepers really. Um, just some of them aren't, aren't using their hands. Yeah. But then, you know, I wonder if this is just, you know, there are always ways of, of gaming the the rules in your, in your favor, aren't there? Someone was saying to me the other day that if it ever goes to a penalty shootout, you know, in a Europa League game or a Euro, Euros game, Basically, the, the the smartest tactic would just be to go and break the legs of the opposing goalkeeper, take the red cards. Yeah, okay. I mean, not that we should advocate inflicting that kind of violence on, on anyone. Well, at least most people. But, you know, yeah, I mean, there is there is probably a loophole there that could be exploited if you were a team cynical enough to behave in that particularly ultra-violent way. Stoke. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, look, yeah, Ryan Shawcross is manager. Watch out for any team that's involved in a penalty shootout with him. Look, let's talk about Emil Smith-Rowe because I know he's a player you like and I, I think he's a player that all of us really like. And, and since he arrived, well, it's wrong to say he arrived on the scene this year. He's been around the first team for a couple of years now and was involved in preseason uh, a couple of years ago and really shone, played some Europa League minutes. He had that loan to Germany, which didn't work out because of injury, loan to Huddersfield, which went pretty well for him. We could all see there was a talent there. And, you know, I think the question mark, as as is quite often the case with, with young players, it isn't necessarily just the talent or the ability that they have, because you don't get to the fringes of a, uh, of a team like Arsenal without having exceptional talent and ability, really, you know. Um, his issue seemed to have been physical. And I was worried the other day when Mikel Arteta said, when he came off against West Brom, is a bit of a hamstring thing. He was feeling something in it. That's been happening a lot lately because he's still getting used to the demands of of playing, you know, regular first team football uh, at this level. And then he plays against Chelsea, and he does the ninety minutes, and he played with a with an energy and an effervescence that you know is is infectious. It's hard not to look at this kid and think. Wow, like if we can keep him fit, he's going to be really something. Like he reminds me a lot of Paul Merson and he reminds me a bit of, of Thomas Rosicki as well. A, a Thomas Rosicki, if you like. Um, you know, just, just in terms of the way he wants to go forward. He always wants to be positive in how he plays. You know, the goal, it's not the sweetest strike he'll ever score in his life, but it's damn important to score a goal away from home against Chelsea and it comes you know three days after he scored his first Premier League goal for the club so there really is something happening with this young man isn't there it's it's really encouraging and invigorating like you said this isn't an overnight thing but equally I think we have to acknowledge the strides that were taken in in six months when you know Mikel Arteta threw Emil Smith-Rowe in at the deep end because there was no real option um, and effectively challenged him and Saka and Martinelli. I mean, we'll never quite know, but it felt like the, it was the, you know, you guys need to save my job moment. You know, obviously we can't know, but they, mm. they've risen to that occasion. And I think, you know, we can say the same thing for Saka. We can say the same thing for, for Tierney and Martinelli. You know, these young players, it's not that they're they're fearless. I think it's that they embrace the the pressure and they embrace the moment. And, you know, that's why, you know, he he really reminds me of, of Thomas Rosicki in that he would, Rosicki would, would always play at his best on the biggest occasions. You know, I remember he was fantastic whenever he was fit enough for a North London derby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and as you say, when the ball comes to him, you can almost see he's collecting it on the half turn, looking immediately Whatever you know, whatever the situation, he's going to try and push Arsenal forward up the pitch. I think you know, in, from from a stats perspective, I think among sort of attacking midfielders, players in his position, he's one of the highest in terms of forward passes um, per game, and you know, proportion of his passes that go forward among the Arsenal players. The injury thing, I, I, you know, Arteta obviously, as you'll remember, said this, a similar thing about Saka a few months back. And I, I do think he deserves a degree of sympathy in that when these young players are your most consistent performers, uh, when they're the, the players that are kind of transformative, imaginative, con- you know, and consistently giving you eight out of 10 performances in a way you would generally expect from someone that's 28, 29. And when you're 28, 29 year olds aren't doing that, they're not playing mm. exceptionally. 
you know, they kind of have to be among the first names on the team sheet and you kind of can't not play them against teams like Chelsea because, you know, you want to win. Even if this is a bit of a dead rubber, it's a dead rubber against a rival and it's a chance to to build momentum or at least to, to you know, quieten down some of the, the tough talk around you. So you do have to play them maybe more than you would like in an ideal world because you can't rely on Willian. You can't rely on, uh, you know, I'm not maybe I'm not going to name any others, but you know a lot of those forward players are, are not performing as consistently as as Smith Rowe. As for the injuries, you know I, I think a lot of it really does go back to that initial issue, which, as I understand it, Arsenal really mishandled um, back in that first season when he broke through with Unai Emery. Uh, they took him to Poltava. Was it in a Europa League game away to Poltava when he was already feeling some pain in his in his groin? Poltava, uh, he played, I've he never flew, heard played, of that. Um, and that's really when those injury issues started. I think that that groin issue is one that's quite common for players of his age. It's a sort of growing pain thing. Was was how one person described it to me, and I think because he's 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 always been coming back to fitness. you do end up playing a bit early. You've not got the rhythm. I don't think he's really had a full preseason at all since the breakout preseason. Yeah, he was, he was injured when they went to America. He he traveled, but wasn't able to play. Um, And then obviously the following season, he played a little bit, got the shoulder injury. So he, it stops and starts. I think it's really easy for, for Arsenal fans to panic about this, you know, they've had so many great creative midfielders that injuries have really struck mm. them down and, and spoiled them. But I, I, I think give Smith Rowe this full preseason, hope he gets through it fit. And maybe it's difficult to know because he's the type of player that will get like Wenger used to say about Wilshire. He's going to get his ankles clipped a lot, but I, I, I would hope, it's nothing serious mm. and it's just you know a bit of bad luck there is talk of a, a force club I think is it was the team you were referring to there I couldn't I couldn't uh, figure out who it was you were talking about there yeah um there is talk of a new contract for him he's got two years left on his current deal but you know given the breakthrough given the the uh, increased importance that he has and the contribution that he has made this season, you know, I know in all competitions, um, you know, he's got a, a reasonable number of goals and assists um, to his name, uh, considering his season only really started in December. Um, it is the time to tie him down, to make sure that along with Tierney, along with Saka, along with Martinelli, you've got these guys on uh, a long-term contract that their future is secured. It's tied to the club because as much as we have to do this summer, and that's obviously something we're going to chat about now in a minute, um, you know, making sure you hang on to the best things you have is mm. really, really important. And next season, you know, it, w- it would be great going into it knowing that for the next five years, Smith Rowe, Saka, Tierney, um, uh, Martinelli are are with us. And we have that sort of safety net with them. And look, a big part of holding on to talented young players is making sure that you have a team that talented young players can thrive in and feel like they can make progression in. Because, you know, if they don't, there are a lot of teams out there that will quite happily snatch them up. So new contract for um, for Smith Rowe next season and, and maybe a new number. Oh, a new number would be great. I, I remember speaking to him about um, Mesut Ozil 
and I was just sort of ran, you know, when you sort of say like, take the number, number 10, sh- the number mm. 10, and you kind of mean it in that positional thing. And he basically said to me, oh yeah, no, uh, mess it's great, but, but you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but effectively what he said is when he goes, I'd really like the number 10. So I think that would be a really fantastic gesture. Mm. Um, and I'm sure it's something he'd like as for the contract. Um, I, if my, I, don't, I mean, I, I know obviously there are reports that those, those talks are underway. I, I couldn't speak to that, but what I can say is, you know, earlier when he was really starting to break through, there was a, you know, brief conversations between Smith Rose representatives and Arsenal just sort of saying, look, let's park this until the season is over. Now, I think we could probably argue Arsenal season is really over now. Yeah. Um, and let you focus on football. It'll come both sides. There's a really strong will to tie him down, um, to get it all agreed from Arsenal's perspective to, to, you know, put together a pay packet that, that reflects his status. Yeah. And I, you know, it's worth noting that that's something they've they they did last summer as well. You know, Martinelli was effectively just given a one year extension, but really what it was was a pay rise to reflect the fact that he's not an under twenty threes player anymore. He's a first teamer, um, and I'm sure the same will be true for for Smith Rowe. It's you know, it's a, it's a really shrewd, safe investment, and um, I think you know, I mean, we'll talk about the squad building, I'm sure. But one of the really interesting things, the whole Erdegaard experience mm. has taught us and I think you know Erdegaard is probably in that grey area whether you want to keep him and try and buy him for a lot of money but you know you could certainly go into next season feeling confident if Smithrow was your starting number 10 and your alternative was you know a, a really good quality alternative who you can rotate in and out with but I don't think there's now any fear that that Smithrow can take this role and and run with it next season as the, as the full-time 10. Yeah I mean look Odegaard would be lovely, and I like him a lot as a player. I think, you know, the last few weeks have been quite difficult for him. I don't think he's the same since the ankle injury mm. that he picked up on international duty. Um, and, you know, to go through a 38-game season at 20, 21 years of age and play every game, I don't think it's realistic for, for Smith-Rowe. But, you know, if Smith-Rowe can play 75% of those games then I think his development curve would be such that, you know, you could maybe live without someone like Odegaard or or spend that money elsewhere, you know. Uh, don't get me wrong, I would take both if I could, but, you know, realistically, we, we kind of have to cut our cloth. Just one other small issue from the, the, the Chelsea game. Um, I wonder, is this a consequence in some ways of, of just how how angsty, you know, we are given the season that we've had and, and the last week, 10 days has been particularly difficult and traumatic for Arsenal fans. Uh, Aubameyang, when he came off and was replaced by Lacazette, didn't look at all pleased by what had happened. And I think we we all look at body language and facial expressions and, and we read a lot into them. And he's quite an expressive guy. So you can kind of you can kind of figure out what sort of mood he's in, you know? But like is it is it kind of storm in a teacup sort of stuff? At the end of the day, we won the game. He played, I think pretty well in the circumstances mm. he got an assist he worked hard he didn't really get any goal scoring chances um so you know I, i'm not putting him down for not scoring a goal he got an assist as i said for for smith row he ran around for 80 minutes he's still coming back from malaria you know is it just one of those things where we look at it and because it's so much so much else is wrong we go well there's another thing 
another thing we have to deal with. Like, is it not the classic example of a player who doesn't want to be substituted being pissed off about being substituted and that's as far as it goes like the old well you don't want players being happy to come off kind of thing or is is there anything in the you know the the contention that because he's the captain he should behave differently in those circumstances i I mean i i probably agree with what you're saying earlier that it's just it's just a player that's really disappointed to come off that, that has run himself into the ground and maybe even thought you know we were seeing the game open up in arsenal's favor and he wants to be on the pitch at in those moments, I think, you know, Tim Stillman makes this this point really well on the Arsenal Vision podcast. I think there is a, for all the success he's had, I don't think Aubameyang is quite as popular a figure at Ars- among Arsenal supporters as some of us might assume, especially in the press. I think, he, I don't know what it is, but I think some people just feel a little bit uncomfortable about his expressiveness. Mm. I really like it. And I... You know, I, I I just think how would how would I react in a Bamiang situation? And there's not much I can imagine about being a a top level footballer, but I can certainly imagine that if I've run myself into the ground, worked really hard for the team, um, you know, I would be really gutted then to be taken off when I'm you know chasing that goal. And it's been a hard season. It's been a really draining, exhausting season personally. Yeah, uh, he spoke so well about that before the Villarreal game, and I know that. It all gets forgotten, and it's you know tomorrow's uh, you know, tomorrow's chip paper. But I think people would would do well to remember you know how how open and honest he was. It's been a tough year. I think that all that stuff probably starts adding up, and you feel it all when you're taken off after a tough game like that Chelsea game. Mm. But I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. I think he's just he's a high profile player, and therefore he he his every reaction is uh, yeah. mulled over. I suppose the, the the positive side of that is that he got to 80 minutes having played in a team which was, you know, organised, had to be defensive. I think people sometimes underestimate how difficult that is physically and mentally to be that uh, under pressure. And Arsenal were under pressure in terms of, you know, the the... Uh, territory and how Chelsea were camped in our half, and you've got to be organised. You've got to be disciplined. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of legwork and a lot of concentration, and that is tiring. So maybe there's something positive to be taken from the fact that Aubameyang, at 80 minutes, given everything that's happened to him of late, um, you know, felt like he could still contribute something to the game. Like he, he physically, he must have felt okay. Yeah, I, I, I think so, and it's it is more physically draining I think than we all appreciate running a lot and not touching the ball and that's mentally draining I think yeah. one of the things you know when when people get back in stadia I would encourage them to to keep an eye on um on Aubameyang and how how much he is just trying to to make those runs especially when you see someone like Louise playing but he's when he's playing a center forward he's hardly touching the ball I'm, I'm looking at the numbers now per 90 minutes he's touching the ball more infrequently than Burnt Leno or Alex Rinnison. You know, he is mm. of every outfield player at Arsenal this season. He has the fewest touches per 90. And I think people confuse that with him not being involved and him not working. But actually, you know, Bamiang is going to be a low touch forward because you, if you're playing him as a centre forward, you're playing him to get on the end of stuff. You know, wherever you're playing him, you're playing him because you, you yeah. trust him when it's, when the chances come his way. And I think that's, it's much more draining. It's it's mentally draining. It's physically draining. And, and it, you can't kind of be as instinctive 
it's hard. It's yeah. hard. It's been a really hard season for Aubameyang, and I think it's really encouraging to see that he is still he is still doing this. He's running the channels. He's pressing. He's making the right decisions when opportunities come his way. He's not chasing the goal from mm. a tight angle. He's giving it to Smith Rowe. Um, it's not been perfect, and he's not been perfect. But I'd really like to you know see him next season when he's when there isn't so much going on to distract him. The win over Chelsea raises the possibility of European football again for Arsenal. Is it seventh in the Premier League, which yeah. qualifies for this UEFA Conference League? Yeah. So there's a couple of things at play here. One is that if Arsenal were to finish seventh, it would more than likely at this point be at the expense of Tottenham, which <laughs> is, you know something I think we could all get behind. St. Totteringham's Day, etc., etc. We've had little enough to cheer. That's a small, invisible, non-existent trophy that we could lift up at the end of the season. At the same time, it might then mean that we've got to play in this UEFA Conference League next season. Um, so I'm curious as to what you're... Not about the St. Totteringham's Day thing, because there's no point me asking if any if people like that. <laughs> of course they do. But... but is that sort of half-assed version of European football still worth something to Arsenal? Or if we are going to embark on what appears to be a, a summer rebuild and reset and all of those kind of things, would we be better off without that as a club focusing entirely on playing once a week, more or less, without the midweek distraction and travel and, you know, preparation and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I still haven't quite worked out what I think about this. And I mean, partly because, you know, until a few days ago, it just felt like you could just work off the assumption that it, it wasn't really, it didn't really matter what Arsenal mm. wanted because this was what they were going to get. But, you know, if you look at Tottenham's run-in, you do think there are points for them to drop. And, you know, I think in the end there's, there is, you know, people will look at the examples of Chelsea under Antonio Conte and Liverpool under Brendan Rodgers mm. and how they pushed for titles out of nowhere. And it would be deluded for Arsenal and Arsenal fans to think that they would suddenly, just because they're only playing one game a week, they'd suddenly be a contender for the title. But clearly, it would be enormously helpful in terms of a Premier League season if that is pretty much all you're focusing on. Um and I just, I just think, I remember Darren Burgess when he was at the club and he took us around um, the training facilities. And one of the things he, that, that still stands out with me was he was talking about how much of a drain this Thursday, Sunday schedule proves to be on, on players. And some of it's quite hard to explain because, you know, you could, if you're Champions League, you could be Wednesday, Saturday. But it's, you know, it would be flying to really far-flung places I'm sure Arteta would would kind of really overwhelmingly use youngsters, but he'd have to travel. The coaching staff would have to travel yeah. and prepare, and you know, I mean, they'd have to prepare really hard because the last thing you want is to be humiliated by the third best team in San Marino. I think it would be <laughs> organisationally just a bit liberating to to not have European football um, 
of course you what you'd you love the money that comes with it and how um, much how much I, are you getting for the euro the UEFA for conference league I have no idea whatsoever. I mean, I, I'm looking at how little Arsenal get for the Europa League compared to just being in the Champions League. I think if you could, if you could sneak into fourth next season, then I think the financial benefits of then just turning up to the Champions League would actually almost outweigh two seasons of Europa League football. In fact, mm. I think it might might just straight up outweigh it. So I would probably come down on the side of like, I can't be doing with the Conference League. Um, I think if you add into the mix, getting to finish above Tottenham, getting to finish the season on a bit of a high note, it becomes more balanced. Um, maybe you could just, you know, literally say to Steve Bold, do you want to have a go at this competition? I'm sure Arsenal wouldn't quite be able to do it to that level, but really play the under 23s, play the best young players and, you know, just say Aubameyang, uh, Partey, Saka, you're not playing in this competition at all. Um, yeah, but I would, I would just say better off without it really, if possible. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I think as a, as a, as a development tournament, if you could just play young players all the way through it, it would have some use. There would be some benefit from that, from giving, you know, the next generation. I think we we're, we're probably at a point where there's, you know, some some good young players at the club who are maybe not quite just ready to to make the step up to first team yet and need either loan football, another season of under twenty three football or whatever. So you could really make the case that look, as a development uh, tournament, it could be pretty useful to give these guys playing time. But if you're if you're benefit from being out of Europe or, or what have you is the fact that the manager can work with the players five days a week on the training ground before a weekend game. If the manager has to prepare for uh, a game like that and then travel with the squad and, you know, do the, you know, he's, his, his focus has got to be elsewhere. So I have to say, I think uh, like you, I would prefer if, uh, if we did without it, to be honest. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Speaking of Mikel Arteta, he, uh, I'm sure you saw the post-match interview on, mm. on Sky Sports, where he was quite unhappy about some things that were doing the rounds in the press. And he said, um, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to put things on me that I never said. Uh, and he was asked about, it. he said, something I didn't say. Uh, uh, and, and it's quite interesting, this, because I watched his press conference the other day. And I was of the opinion that uh, 
he said something um, which sounded a bit like he was saying some of the players didn't give their maximum. Mm. And it, it struck me as unusual because that's not something that he uh, has done. For all his issues this season, that is not something that he has done. And I listened back to the audio, and I'm going to play it here. And I think what has happened is that he's asked a question and then a follow-up question, but he answers the first part of the question. So this is this is the way the uh, the original audio went. You, one of the criteria you judge yourself on is by getting the maximum from the players. Do you feel that that has happened this season, that the players have given their maximum? With the majority of them, yes. So it sounds like he's saying with the majority of them, or have the players given their maximum, uh, and he's saying with the majority. So it makes you go, ooh, ooh, some of mm. them haven't been giving their best. I think it makes a lot more sense if you take out that follow-up question, it sounds like this. One of the criteria you judge yourself on is by getting the maximum from the players. Do you feel that that has happened this season? With the majority of them, yes. So... Later in a Sky Sports interview, he said, if I don't get 120% from each player, it's my fault and my responsibility. It wasn't said like this in the press, and I'm so annoyed with that. And I think genuinely what's happened here is, is a misunderstanding, that he has answered the first part of that question and not really heard the second part, but, but we all, as we l- listen to it, thought, oh, shit, he's answered that second part of the question and said, well, the majority of them, but that means there's a minority of them that haven't given their best. Who's he talking about? Which players is he throwing under the bus here? And that's really not his style. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, so I wasn't in this press conference um, for once. Um, but, but kind of coming to it fresh, I, I I really agree with that that version of it. And I think what I still found strange, though, was... You know, he clearly did not mean to, but he did. He did, in effect, answer that question. And yeah. obviously, what this is is a, you know, what I meant to say, and what you've received are two really different things. And I mean, I agree. Arteta was not doing this maliciously. I don't think he was. I think he was very self-critical. And we've seen throughout the, you know, the heart, the highs and lows of this Arsenal season that he is willing to, you know, take a lot of responsibility to criticise himself and to own up to things he doesn't do well. Um, it is strange, however, I think, to to come out in such forceful terms for what is fundamentally a misunderstanding. And obviously, I, I appreciate that, you know, when it was run on Sky Sports News, uh, when that in, initial clip was run on Sky Sports News, I saw it and it, it felt a little sensationalised. Yeah. Um, I mean, for one thing, you didn't hear the question, which I, I thought was was quite disappointing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to kind of get into criticizing fellow colleagues, but it, he didn't just, he didn't just throw that out of, of thin air. I also think one thing to note is that Arteta this season, and maybe this is a function of zoom and things like that has not, has been a tough with the press. Um, you think he's been tough or combative? Do you think that's been true all season or do you think it's a case that as the season has gone on, um, he has been more under pressure 
feeling a bit more defensive about, you know, what's happened and where he is and, and all of those kind of things. Because, you know, I'm in most of those press conferences as well on, on the Zoom and everything else. And, you know, I, I think broadly and, you know, actually the vast majority of the kind of questions and questioning he gets is is really very respectful. Mm. Uh, nobody is Nobody has really hammered him in any significant way. There have been some difficult questions, but then why wouldn't there be difficult questions for you to answer as a manager when you, you know, your team doesn't do as well as it should do in the Premier League and gets knocked out of Europe, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's part and parcel of the job. I do think he tends to take umbrage with those questions more than I think is is fair given Mm. where Arsenal are. Um, And he's sort of very very good at sort of saying, you know, there are standards and these aren't acceptable and we're not hitting them. But then when you sort of, from my experience, when you ask him, you know, about his responsibilities on that, he can be a little more defensive. You know, we would all naturally not take kindly to people questioning our ability to do our own job. And I I totally understand that. And, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, we all, when when, that, when these sort of things come to us on Twitter, none of us reply as as sensibly as 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 most football managers do. Having said that, I, I think you know I I found there were I mean I just certainly going back to that post match Real press conference, and I know that's a really emotive time, but I did find that you know there was a kind of unwillingness to really engage with how. Uh, you know, when the, the, the when a fan's point of view is put across, I thought he was kind of not not hugely open to, to discussing it. Maybe that's just natural. And I think, as you say, every manager gets testy and difficult in press conferences like these. And, you know, Arsene Wenger was never the, the free-flowing uh, Arsene Wenger that, I, you know, when I was promised when I came into this job towards the end of his reign. He, he was just a little bit more defensive and very conscious of of how every word can be misconstrued i think we have to understand that everything arteta says is put through a, a fine tooth comb we live in the era mm. of full press conference transcripts not just from the club from from all of us and you know every word is passed out for details and every word is saved and can be brought back in six months time um everything he says about william saliba is then compared to everything he says about William. I think that's hard. I think that's a lot harder than it was even five five years ago. Um, and I think he's probably maybe maybe he's just really conscious of that, and he thinks sometimes he needs to stamp out on the the stories he feels are most unrepresentative of of the messages he's yeah. trying to get across. I ju- yeah I, yeah sorry I'm to cut across. No, I, go on. I just genuinely think that in his mind he answered one question and in in the media it was understandably as well given that there was a follow up question the focus was on his answer to the to that question and he thought well i answered the other question i answered like uh you know you judge yourself on the criteria of getting the best out of the players. Have you done that this season? And for the majority, yes, I have. And then all of a sudden it's being uh, reported in a completely different way. I suppose the thing to say is that, you know, he, he probably felt last night after a win that he could say something about that. Um, He didn't say anything about it pregame. Mm. And I'm not sure he could have said anything about it 
post-game, had we lost, maybe if we'd drawn the game, he might have been able to come out and say something about it. Um, but, I mean, where do you where do you stand on his his approach in general to things like that when he's talking about how he will always defend his players and uh, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, from, from, you know, accusations in the press and, you know, how much the players give him and how much commitment they have and how much work rate they give him and they always work hard and da-da-da-da-da. And, like, you know, there have been performances this season where, look, I know teams can play below par and teams can be uh, a little lethargic at times, but... You know, there have been times this season where you could look and say, have we really given enough? Have all the players given the best there? Mm. You know, so it is sometimes difficult to tally with what we've seen. But as a as a as a stance for a manager to take, you know, it is even if fans don't like it at times, it is the best one to 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 sort of build the wall around the inside, if you like. Yeah, I find I find questions of effort. I always find it's a really challenging topic because I think it's a really hard thing to. I I agree with you. There are games when I have watched Arsenal players or an Arsenal team and wondered if they were giving their all. But equally, I think it it, it kind of it sometimes comes feels like a bit of a cop out. Um, and an easy excuse for everything to just say, well, the players aren't aren't working hard enough. And I think mm. it's it can be really hard to know whether it's just they're not working hard enough or they don't know where to be and when or, or what the right thing is. And I just, I think he is probably more right than he gets credit for in saying that actually, you know, these players are working hard. And one thing that, you know, he kind of acknowledged in that press conference, wasn't it, was that, I think the message that really came out of it from his vo- were, from his mouth, at least, or the one he intended was, actually, I do believe my players are working hard, but I acknowledge that for some of them, even when they're working hard, they're not quite at the level required. Yeah, I mean, that was a more interesting thing for me than, than you know, uh, and, and look, I was guilty of falling into the, 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 the mm. answer that he gave initially, that's what I thought he had said. And it was only when I went back to listen today that I realized that, you know, where this misunderstanding came from. But then he was asked, like, how do you get the maximum out of all of them in the future? And he said, challenging them, putting somebody next to them to try to push them again. So you've got a player who's X, but if you put a better player beside them, it might raise their level, as we've seen, I think, a few times this season with certain players. And he said, some of them can get to a certain level and you cannot push them any further. You want to evolve them, but it's not possible. And I think what he's saying there, it's not that they're unreceptive to being pushed or they're not unreceptive to the idea of working harder, but simply that they have a ceiling that Mm. it is not possible for them as players to go beyond. And I think that was maybe the most interesting part. I thought that was, I thought that was fascinating. And it's, it's one of those things where we all know that's true. Yeah. But actually to acknowledge that is, is quite a significant step from an Arsenal manager. And I think, you know, clearly he believes then that a lot of those players will be moving on because you don't say that about someone. Let's be honest. There are going to be players in the squad who know that he meant them. Mm. Um, you know, we could, we could name names if we wanted. I think that maybe last night we saw, 100% Rob Holding 
the best version of Rob Holding and the best version of Rob Holding doesn't get Arsenal or as a starting centre-back doesn't get Arsenal in the Champions League conversation. I don't know if Arteta meant Holding, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. There are half a dozen, maybe more players in the, the squad who are just like that. And if you believe that those players are, are kind of going to be moving on um, or moving down the pecking order, you as a manager feel you can say that. If you think you're going to be working with them as your starters next season, you do not dream of saying that. So I thought that was, I thought that was a really interesting mm. comment um, and one that does sort of point to a real, and they're saying it so much, it's got to happen, but a real belief that this squad is going to be as radically overhauled as is possible in the it, summer. I, I think it also speaks to a manager who feels, um, what's the right word here? Like, I don't know, or I can't say for sure, but I don't know that Mikel Arteta will feel comfortable in his job because he, you know, he's not a stupid mm. man. He's not a stupid man. He knows his team didn't play well in a semi-final against a, a team managed by the man he replaced and the optics of that, et cetera, et cetera, are what they are, Right. He 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 knows that the team has lost 13 games in the Premier League. He's well aware of that, you know. So I don't know that any manager could feel comfortable. Nevertheless, it sounds to me a bit like he feels assured mm. by the backing he has had from executive level or board level or ownership level, whatever way you want to call it, because they all really break down to the same thing that the 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 sort of plan that he has and Edu has we assume that they have to 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 restructure the squad to rebuild the squad to get rid of certain players to to improve the squad in certain areas what that might take in terms of recruitment selling loaning finance resources all of those things which are you know, like if 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 I was you know brought in tomorrow to try and do all the things that Arsenal need to do, I'd probably last a day before I ran out the door screaming. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have some sympathy with with everything that they have to do, even if a lot of this mess is is of their own making, of course. But it doesn't alter the fact that what what needs to be done is a lot. But it does suggest to me that that you know Arteta feels or has had some assurance that. You know, they've come so far down this particular road, they're not going to just turn around and start again. I think there's there's a lot of that. And then there's a lot of him almost attempting to speak his vision for next season into existence. Um, and we saw that last summer, didn't we? We saw, you know, by the final weeks, he was sort of saying, I know this is going to happen. And, you know, the day before Thomas Partey signed, I know we're going to do something significant. Mm. Now, if he's if he's saying, I know this, I mean, partly that's sort of moving the pressure on to those above you and, and saying we kind of have to deliver. And I, I'm sure he appreciates that if this squad is not improved and it's sort of stays similar to where it is now in terms of recruitment, if a lot of the players stay and new upgrades aren't made in key positions that in the end the squad they're not Arsenal are going to sack the squad they're going to sack Mikel Arteta um and obviously every indication that they're sticking by him over the summer but he he will know that if they're 10th or 8th or 9th in in you know midway through the season mm. that he's not going to last he, yeah. he knows that this is the 
decisive summer. And we say, <laughs> we constantly say, you know, we have the decisive Europa League game and then we have the decisive summer. It seems like that's how Arsenal seasons are going of late. Um, but this one is probably the most decisive of all. And he has to, you know, if he wants this project to accelerate and he wants to be a successful Arsenal manager... He needs to pressure those above him to to get the squad that he wants, and um, mm. if he doesn't, you know, he's he'll be fighting for his job. Yeah, I mean, and, and another interesting aspect of this, and I know it's not something we can really quantify or go into a great detail in because we don't know all of it. But you know, more than once he has referenced things going on behind the scenes which have made life more difficult, and whether that's you know from five years ago, four years ago, one year ago, six months ago, whatever it is. We're not quite sure, but he has spoken about this this other thing, this undercurrent of something at Arsenal that has needed to be put right for a long time. So that, you assume, when he was brought in as manager is something he identified, spoke to the ownership about, and was given the green light to do certain things like even going back to January the paying people to go away thing is not something that I've seen (laughs) at any football (laughs) club certainly not seen it at Arsenal you know uh you know that there have been some extraordinary things go on um which again you like to think if you're wildly or mildly even optimistic that these are all part of one larger holistic plan Mm. of, of how to put things right it's a culture thing. And I think Arteta will be smart enough to know that it the culture thing is not three or four players. I mean, certainly not, you know, many of the players who arrived, you know, that arrived at Arsenal, um, or so that left Arsenal paid to go away in January, they weren't difficult players when they arrived. Um, I mean, we could debate how difficult they were during their time at Arsenal on and off the pitch. Mm. But they're, you know, it, I think Arteta sees what the problem is, but actually it is still really hard. You know, you know, you've written about this club every day for 15, 20 years, <laughs> along the blog's been going. <laughs> yeah. there, is a, there is something in the culture around Arsenal, but it's very hard to put your finger on what it is. I mean, I think that to an extent it feels like an acceptance that winning doesn't have to be everything, but... Now, how that manifests on a day-to-day basis is really hard to know. I mean, you know, you, you hear whispers, you hear, you know, and you you see it reflected in certain things on and off the pitch. But I think Arteta understands that there is that real cultural issue and that perhaps mm. the only time Arsenal in the post-Invincibles era really looked like they might be dealing with it was in that arteta Mertesacker era when they became something of a winning force and, and probably hit the the upper limits of their potential as the second third best team in England it's you know this stuff is is hard and it requires boots on the ground and commitment from the absolute highest levels um I'm amazed we've got through the whole uh, podcast without saying the, the k word <laughs> but you know that's that's what it comes down to it, yeah. it's cultural drift it's you know, uh, it's it's you listen to what Thomas Tuchel says about Chelsea and what he feels. You know, he, the pressure he feels to win that you suspect uh, if Chelsea don't win the FA Cup and don't and you know drop out of the top four and don't win the Champions League final, he will not be having any conversations about a new contract, no matter how much he's improved this team since Frank Lampard, because it's about winning. It's not about 
pro, you know, mm. general progress. It is about picking up trophies and, and celebrating success at the end of the season. And I think that's why the FA, he always talks about the value of that FA Cup win. And he was talking before the Villarreal loss about how, how much of a boost uh, the Europa League would would bring. And I think we all naturally thought of that as finances and transfers and prestige. But I think part of it was about, you know, these players getting into the habit that every season ends with them winning a big trophy mm. and that they come back and go for a bigger one. Um, that uh, this is it's nebulous. It's really hard to put yeah. your finger on. And Arteta alone cannot be the man to fix this. And Edu and Arteta and Richard Garlic alone. It has to be everyone at the club. And I know there are so many people that agree with Arteta, but it, it's hard, especially yeah. for a rookie head coach. Well, true. And look, the thing about it is, is that there's you know. Um, I think from the moment, let's, you, you know, you're talking about Chelsea, from the moment he arrived, it became clear that the only thing that was important to Abramovich was winning. Mm. Um, that hasn't been the case with our owners. And I don't know that you can sort of instill the winning culture, so to speak, by proxy via the manager, because then it's ephemeral, isn't it? Because if the manager mm. goes... That goes. So how do you change the outlook of the owners? Is that even possible? And if it's not possible, you know, how much more responsibility and importance is there on the manager and the people he has around him to, to make up for that shortfall? Those are things that, you know, I don't know that we can answer here and nobody's yet been able to answer, you know, fully uh, this summer could be quite interesting to see if there has been any kind of shift from KSE. I'm not sure there will be, but you know, it, it, it's something that Arteta, even in that uh, interview the other day, uh, let me see if I can find it here. It was quite interesting where he was asked, um, if potentially Arsenal would sacrifice some big players to raise funds for the summer. And he said, uh, it's difficult to predict that one. In general, we wouldn't like to do that because we only want to be stronger. It's clear we want to improve the team. We need some resources. So whether that was a message to on high, mm. I, I'm not quite sure. I don't know that, you know, uh, I'm not sure it's his style to sort of, you know, uh, do it the Mourinho way, if you like, you know, to, to, to make it very clear to the owners that it's back me or get rid of me. And as Jose's found out of late, uh, the getting rid thing is much more, uh, <laughs> much more an option for the owners than he would like. But, you know, th we do need resources. And some of those, I think, are going to come from, from player sales. So just very finally, uh, there were and are many issues, myriad issues, in terms of players and the squad, people who could go, people who could be sold, people who could be loaned, you know, realistically, you know, there are five, six, maybe seven who are basically unsellable at Arsenal at this moment in time for, for one reason or another. And everyone else, I think you have to be, in the circumstances we're in, open to any reasonable offer that comes in for, for those players. But, you know, The Athletic this week did a big piece and... Uh, you know, some of the names on it were not much of a surprise. David Luiz, uh, just don't renew his contract. Mm -hmm. Willian, he wants to leave apparently, which would be great because like, I, again, this is not to be, this is not to be, uh, like stick the knife in or anything like that. Mm. But, but I think it helps Arsenal if Willian wants to leave because of the contract that we gave him in the first place. If he's not happy and he wants to go play football somewhere, like that makes our life easier rather than a guy who's going to say, well, 
you paid me all, you're going to pay me that money for two years and I'm going to sit here and do whatever I like for two years. So that he wants to leave is a, is a big thing. Granite Xhaka, a little bit of a surprise to me. Bernd Leno, also a little bit of a surprise to me um, because I think there are probably, I could think of four or five, maybe six things that we need to do before we need to worry about a goalkeeper, which isn't to say Leno couldn't be improved. You know, it's true of everyone in the squad, but I don't think it's high on the list. So were you in any way surprised by some of the names that were doing the rounds this week? And, and you know, realistically, how many of those players can, can Arsenal let go? I mean, I see people talking about, well, if you let all these experienced older players go, you lose leadership hmm. and I, and then I think well with these leaders look where we are maybe you need new leaders and maybe new leaders can only emerge when the old leaders are gone I think so I mean I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt for a moment anything if it's uh, got David Ornstein's byline on it obviously what's it's all well and good one that the the players wanting to leave um i think some of those players that want to leave may have uncomfortable conversations with their representatives this summer when it turns out who wants to buy them if it's anyone perhaps <laughs> not at the level they expected yeah. i mean you know i obviously you know someone like hector bellerin um you know as as i as as a reported it back in January, he, he's kind of ready to move on. I think Arsenal are ready to, to let him move on. It's best for both parties. Where that interest might come from, though, you know, is it a, a top-level Champions League team anymore? I kind of can't help but doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a yeah. huge admirer of Bellerin uh, off the pitch, and he's he has had fantastic moments on it, even this season. But he, he is not a consistent force. And are you so desperate to leave this club uh, if you're not going to play Champions League football, um, I think that similarly, you know, that that seems to be the indication coming out of from from someone like Leno, who who said in the press conference a few weeks ago, you know, open to new adventures. Well, if that adventure is Borussia Dortmund, who I know he's been linked with, and uh, they, they're exploring the market for goalkeepers, from what I've heard, yeah, I'm sure Leno would would be more than happy for that. But but if it's not a Champions League team, are you that desperate to to you know leave London, leave a, a good paying club? Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's an odd one, and you know this was we were having you know we were all talking last year as well. I was reporting, others were reporting that Arsenal wanted to sell Socrates, Özil, Mustafi, Kalasenak. Well, people, you know, it takes two to well three to tango in this case. <laughs> you need you need a player that's found a club he wants to go to, and a and a club that want to to sign him. And you know there are quite a few. I mean, Lacazette would be another. Mm. Is there going to be a club that Lacazette wants to join because I think Arsenal should be really aggressively looking to to move him on. You don't want to give him a new contract. You don't, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're really confident he can score you the goals that turn a Europa League place into a Champions League place, there is no financial justification for keeping him mm. and letting him see out his contract. You've got to be aggressive. But, you know, I think, you, did you guys say this on the podcast on Monday? He's got to be, you know, these are the play, players from the worst Arsenal team in a generation. They are on big wages. There are not a lot of teams that are, are crying out for them. It's mm. going to be really hard. I do sympathise with Edu. He's done a lot, not well, but um, you know his only real sellable assets are talented youngsters who ideally you kind of would want to 
to see a bit more of. You know, he will, he could get money for Willock, he could get money for Maitland Niles, but you don't want to lose them and, and be stuck with veteran players that haven't performed for years on end. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, look, the 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 fear of change is is uh, can be inhibiting actually uh, a little bit, but the mm. market also dictates what you can do and how much you can do it for. And I think I don't know. I, I just I'm I'm really curious to see not just from an Arsenal perspective, obviously, you know, with fans coming back into the stadiums next season, how are clubs going to operate in the market? You know, because it has been coming up on 18 months of huge loss and financial restriction and and the impact of that on on many clubs and and the football pyramid I'm sure hasn't played out fully yet you know there's still desire from fans to see their clubs splash the cash and bring in new signings and new players because new players are exciting you know that is the reality from uh, wherever you are in the football pyramid if your club brings in a new player it is an exciting thing i just wonder you know will someone take a risk for example and say okay we've lost a lot of money but fans are back i'm going to bank on there never being another stoppage like this in the mm-hmm. lifetime we can mortgage some of the future revenue that we're going to bring in to have a real go in a market which is probably depressed a little bit and in which there might well be opportunities for clubs who are willing to 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 put money down for players because other clubs are going to be desperate to take them i do wonder what's going to happen i i, I mean not just at arsenal but but in the market in general how active is it going to be is it going to be like 60 percent loan deals it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out yeah I've, i have no idea i remember this time last year we were talking about swap deals being mm. the future um i don't really remember seeing any significance because you know, owners and, and and clubs get carried away when they kind of believe whether it's, you know, we can guarantee our safety in the Premier League at a lower level. You know, it, we if we spend this 50 million this summer, a newly promoted team, well, we'll make it back in, in a year if we can survive. You know, teams at Arsenal's level start convincing themselves, look, if we pay 45 million for Partey, 72 million for Pepe, that can be the difference between Europa League and Champions League. And, mm. you know, therefore it's the right thing to do to spend that money. Well, you know, it's very hard to know from the outset. But I think, you know, this will, as Chelsea proved, and it took them a while to get there, but, you know, Chelsea have suddenly built the core of a contender, a long-term contender that they didn't really look like they had, um, simply by saying, okay, this is a depressed market. Other teams can't go in for Kai Havertz or Timo Werner. Uh, you know, they've not been perfect, but both of them are, you know, players you'd want to be mm. building a squad around. And you've, they've just said, well, go for it. We're going to go for it now when other teams can't afford to match us. And I think there will be clubs that will believe that they can do that. And they will look at Chelsea and say, let's try and do that. I I, I wonder if Arsenal might be one of them. That, that certainly is is what K, KSE and Arteta would like you to believe from what, from what they're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. They would like us to believe that, uh, but I'm not sure anyone will until it actually happens. Uh, yeah. You know, we've, we've been there, done that. Very like you said, we spent the money on Pepe, we spent the money on Partey, and now we, you know, more than likely don't have any European football. So there's maybe something to be read into that. But look, we better leave it there. I've kept you far too long, but a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you as always. James Bench, thank you very much. Thanks as ever for having me. 
Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter at James Benj, at James Benj. Plenty to talk about. And look, I know the season is ending soon and there's this period called the off season, but I'm not sure, given everything that needs to be done at Arsenal, how much off there's going to be. I figure there's going to be a lot of on. There's going to need to be a lot of on. So we've got plenty to talk about uh, this summer. We don't have anything to talk about this weekend, though, because the game that we were supposed to play against Crystal Palace is taking place on Wednesday. Um, this is because fixtures have been rescheduled to give everybody a home game before the end of the season because fans are allowed back into stadiums in limited capacities, uh, which is great. So those of you who are going to be going to Brighton, uh, the final game of the season next week enjoy that uh, that's going to be really something but it means that we don't have any arsenal this weekend nevertheless james and i will be here on monday we will have an arsecast extra for you and on tuesday we'll do the usual stuff of previewing the game uh, for patreon members etc etc in the meantime maybe just switch off have a nice quiet relaxing arsenal free weekend they can't do anything to us this weekend maybe those are famous last words Some shit will go down and it'll be my fault. But look, in general, they can't make us sad because, well, there is no football. So whatever you do this weekend, take it easy. Mind yourselves. Look after one another. As ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. It's hugely appreciated, as always. And we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Arsenal, you absolute wankers. You're not winning anywhere near enough games. Dropping points all over the place this season. Losing to Burnley twice. It's a disgrace. Losing to Aston Villa twice. Losing to Everton twice. Just a few of those points would have helped us get into a European place. It's all about results, you absolute bastards. Oi! Arsenal, you won a game against Chelsea away from home. A very difficult place to go. We all accept that. But what kind of a performance was that? You didn't play anywhere near as well as I wanted you to. It's all well and good getting results, but you've got to get results and performances. Otherwise, you can fuck off. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit! Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 